Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian the Hype Ballard, and I'm back at it again with the SummerSlam Detroit 2023. The WWE uses money in the bank to gain interest in multiple wrestlers tonight. Triple H takes heat for the lack of wrestlers at SummerSlam. We're going to talk about that. Also, the WWE ruins the stigma of the main event contenders. And Tribal Combat, brother versus brother, is set up for the next pay-per-view or PLE bat payback coming next month. Without further ado, let's get in. Alright guys, first match we are going to discuss and talk about is none other than our special attraction. That's right, Logan Paul and Ricochet going at it. This was a solid opener. It was a great way for these two guys that had a little bit of history at the Rumble with that double belly flop in the middle of the ring as we can talk about midair. But this match wasn't built just on a little bit of that. I looked at this matchup as not just a showcase for Logan Paul, not just a way for Logan Paul to get a victory in WWE, which he hasn't gotten much of, but this was an opportunity for Ricochet to showcase his skills in front of a mass WWE universe because the guy is talented. I've liked his work ever since the days of Prince Puma in Lucha Underground. So Logan Paul gets a lot of followers. He's got like 23 million. You got Ricochet, who is a very underutilized talent that can actually enhance not just the Logan Paul effect. It's not the Grayson Waller effect. It's the Logan Paul effect. Can he rub off on Ricochet? And will there be a demand to see more of Ricochet now that he's been featured in a big profile match at SummerSlam? So this starts out. We get the matchup. Ricochet ducks a punch right away at the match. You guys are going to expect to be high octane. Pun intended here in Detroit. But Paul rolls to the outside. Ricochet fake dives to get into Paul's head. And then Paul heads back to the ring and connects with a back elbow to the chin. Ricochet goes for a leg, but Paul slides out of the way. Paul catches Ricochet with a hip toss and then locks in a rear chin lock. Ricochet fights. Paul chokes Ricochet on the top rope. There's a lot of back and forth, a lot of high energy in this matchup, and the crowd was really feeling it in Detroit. They really brought it during this opening segment. We get a peep. Ricochet fights back. He connects with a people standing moonsault. Paul regains control. There's a nasty back high angle body drop right in the middle of the ring at one point. And a springboard clothesline off the rape apron. There's a really nice spot right kind of in the mid-match where we get Logan Paul doing his best Hawk Hogan impersonation. Really playing into the crowd into the anger of playing up that heel persona. And it makes you realize how good Logan Paul is at not only in the ring athleticism naturally but he's so great at just playing to the crowd playing to the camera more or less and he just really personifies that heel mentality so at this point we continue on and we've got ricochet and logan paul going at it they go back and forth ricochet gets the corner spot on paul we fast forward a little bit ricochet goes for a shooting star press and paul gets his knees up and rolls ricochet for a one and a two but paul Drops Ricochet face first on the mat. Follows up with a huge springboard frog splash for yet another one and a two. Paul goes for a clothesline, but Ricochet counters with a super kick. Ricochet hits the 
Detonation kick followed by a springboard for a one and a two. Ricochet drags Paul to the corner. Ricochet goes for the 450 splash, but Paul rolls out of the way. Someone at ringside all of a sudden comes up into the matchup. We don't know who is. We think it's a member of security. He hands Logan Paul a set of brass knuckles onto his hand. At this point, he uh, takes the set of brass knuckles. The referee is checking on Ricochet. Paul punches Ricochet with the brass knuckles, and he finally gets a three count. One, two, and three. Logan Paul defeats Ricochet with the brass knuckle power of the punch, William Regal style, at the 18 minute and two second mark. Really good win here by Logan Paul. Logan Paul, um, I was a little worried, and you always run the risk with Logan Paul. He's so athletic, so talented, and so easy to like in the ring of the, how good he is and his abilities, especially for a part-time superstar. But you run the risk of him becoming a face. And when you want him to be a heel and he wants to play the heel, you got to find ways for his wins to be heelish. This was a great move by the WWE. There was one spot in the match when Logan Paul almost got a three count on a small package, and I was okay with that kind of a win. But I was even better with this kind of win because I said, Logan Paul is going to have to do something to remain a heel in the way they write the script for the finish. And that's just what the WWE did. We get Logan Paul again at the 18-minute mark with the win and a great opening match to SummerSlam, and it got me excited, and it got the crowd into it in Detroit. From there, what do you follow that match up with? That one of the best opening matches I've seen in a long time at a main big four PPLE like this. Well, let's keep the momentum going and let's get the grudge match out of the way with the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes versus the Beast Incarnate, Brock Lesnar. We get into the ring. This is the rubber match, the third trifecta, if you will, of these two. Just less than a month ago, I believe it was... Cody Rhodes that got his arm broken by Brock Lesnar. And they had their two previous epic encounters. Rhodes goes straight at Lesnar as soon as the bell rings. And Lesnar hits with a belly-to-belly -belly suplex. Rhodes hits a two uh, disaster kicks. But Lesnar counters into a third disaster kick with a mid-air spear. Lesnar drives his shoulders into the ribs of Cody right in the corner. And Rhodes dumps Lesnar to the outside and connects with a dive. Lesnar manhandles Rhodes on the outside, rolls him back into the ring. Rhodes goes for the legs, and Lesnar stuffs him and counters him into a gut wrench suplex. Come notes here on uh, Brock Lesnar. He usually gets really red during these longer matches. This was a little bit of a longer match for a Brock Lesnar match, and I was okay with that because they told a different kind of story. It wasn't just Suplex City at SummerSlam, but Brock. Didn't look as red this time, and I think that's because he had a little bit of a darker tan going on. But you could still tell he was getting a little red in the face in this matchup. Lesnar hits later on a snap suplex and once again tosses Rhodes to the outside. Rhodes beats the referee's count back in, just barely making the 10 count. Lesnar immediately clotheslines him back to the outside. Rhodes breaks the count. Lesnar drags Rhodes off the apron and hits the F5 right on the floor. Rhodes once again miraculously beats the ref's count by some miracle into the ring and he fights Lesnar once again. Lesnar once again dumps him on the outside. They go through, this time, an F5 through the announcer's table in a spot where the table did not break right away 
which caused you know it to look even more painful. So you know that had to hurt initially on impact. The action spills back to the outside again, as we mentioned, and then they go further and further. And then we get a couple Cody cutters for good measure. We get a really good spot in the ring later where each guy tried Kimuras on each other. Brock Lesnar hits Cody with a Kimura, a very well locked in Kimura, but Cody gets to the ropes. And then in a reversal moment, Cody hits Lesnar with a weaker looking Kimura. And I was really hoping, even though this would play according to storyline, I was hoping that it would not end with a Kimura submission on Brock. One, I didn't want to see Brock give up in a submission hold, but two, I didn't want to see him give up in a weaker looking Kimura hold. I'm sorry, Cody, I love you, but the hold was not quite locked in the way that Brock knows how to lock in that hold. I don't blame you though. He's got professional training in the UFC land. So at this point, we get a little bit Rhodes again going for, uh, Rhodes again hits him with the F5, but Rhodes counters it into three consecutive, that's right, not one, not two, not three, three consecutive co crossroads for the one, the two, and the three. And after the match, Cody Rhodes conquers his beast at SummerSlam. And after the match, we get a stare down in the ring. And as Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes approach each other, and they shake hands as a mutual sign of respect. And Brock raises Cody's hands in victory. So the result, again, Cody Rhodes defeats Brock Lesnar with the crossroads at the 17 minute, 33 second mark. So we've had two matches right around the 18 minute mark, which is a nice marathon for Brock. So I wanna talk about this one and I wanna break down this ending of this grudge match. For the record, I like the match. This was not a match I was really excited about getting into tonight, but they did tell a really good story with the Kimura and all the outside action, and Brock showed us something other than Suplex City, so I want to give lots of applause to Cody and Brock for putting on a really good match. With that being said and out of the way, there is no business in Brock Lesnar shaking Cody Rhodes' hand and Cody being so accepting and these two are friends now. I don't get it, I don't understand that. Okay, there's gonna be somebody that might not agree with me on and that's fine, because wrestling, we have different opinions. But, we're gonna agree to disagree on this. Brock Lesnar does not make friends like that with anybody. Two, Cody Rhodes, if I just had my arm broken by a man on purpose less than two months ago, I would not be like, all cool, bro. We can shake hands and we can be friends and let's go paint each other's toenails on the weekends. All right, that's the thing. We're not having sleepovers here. You broke my arm. I am not forgiving you that quickly on that. And even Cody in the post-conference even admitted that Brock would spit loogies on him during the matches. Okay? One, gross. Two, how? Why? Why are you all of a sudden accepting of this? So, what I don't understand is, again, they're going to make... These guys allies, maybe Brock goes away for a while, who knows? Brock is a common long-term enemy of Roman Reigns. And maybe that is how the WWE is gonna steer this Cody Rhodes train back into the Roman Empire on the island of relevancy. But I don't like the idea that this little detour with Brock and then all of a sudden this bad, just this, the storytelling to me was not logical and did not make sense for these two to be this chummy. And again, Brock Lesnar, his 
an ass kicker. He doesn't do things like that, making friends very well. So, that's my take, that's my grudge match, and that's my gripe with the way this match ended outside of a really good final third match. I didn't like the ending as far as let's all just be friends and shake hands and we can go on like apple and onion and have a great time. All right, let's go on to our next, which is the Slim Jim Battle Royal. WWE did something good in the promo package with this one tonight. They did a great job showing Macho Man Randy Savage briefly in the history of Slim Jim, and I actually appreciated that fact because if you want to balance out your promotions and your paid sponsorships, I think they got it right with the Slim Jim Battle Royal at SummerSlam tonight. It wasn't overly annoying. They got their sponsorships from check. It felt more like UFC style or Endeavor, right? But it didn't feel like the Pizza Hut nightmare from Survivor Series years ago. It didn't feel like the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match. It felt like it belonged. There was sponsorship. It wasn't thrown in our face crazy. And we moved right ahead. So with this one, we get all the contestants in the ring right away. And then we get an announcement that almost an MVP so comes out and announces almost as being a competitor in this battle royal. So, Chaos erupts and almost easily eliminates Apollo Crews and JD McDonough. Five competitors team up on Amos, but they still can't eliminate him. Otis gets eliminated by Chad Gable, or as Chad Gable eliminates Giovanni Vinci. Austin Theory eliminates Ridge Holland and then quickly does the same for Cameron Grimes. Theory turns to celebrate his success and Santos Escobar clotheslines Theory up over the top row for an elimination. A lot of good, you know, just star mid-range to upper card talent on this one. Um, Triple H takes some heat later on in the night for a question from our post-press conference about why was Austin Theory, the United States champion, used in a manner like this? And you could tell Triple H did struggle a little bit answering that question. And you could tell he got a little agitated that he had to field it. And he used the excuse that, well, you can't get everybody on the card. And while that's true, when you have a WrestleMania, he said we had to go from WrestleMania being two, you know, nights of talent, and we have to go back down to one. It's hard to get everybody back onto, you know, just who we're going to use tonight. Now, that's interesting because it's been a long time since WrestleMania, so you think we would have gotten it right in the last few months of how to book that down to that single night talent, which does tell me that maybe Triple H is not booking all of these in-between pay-per-views. Who knows? I'm speculating. But let's continue on with the Battle Royal. We go on. We see uh, that Karrion Cross gets eliminated. Uh, he eliminates Escobar, excuse me, and then almost simultaneously eliminates Riddle and Butch, and then LA Knight goes after Almos, and he eats a knee to the jaw. And the rest of the remaining competitors team up on almost and finally manage to eliminate the big man. LA Knight adds the final big man push to get almost out and over the ring. And you can feel right there that LA Knight is going to be his evening for success. LA Knight eliminates The Miz. My boy, sorry, Team Bro Ohio. That just wasn't your night. But we'll get back at it, partner. But ultimately, Miz and Sheamus are gone. Does the same to the Grayson Waller effect. AJ Styles connects with a Pele kick to Karrion Cross, and then Bronson Reed launches Gable for elimination. The final four in this matchup are LA Knight, AJ Styles, Sheamus, and Bronson Reed. And you can feel the competition in this one. And I can feel like it was going to be LA Knight's evening again, like I said. And the final two competitors, as 
the eliminations keep going are LA Knight and Sheamus. Knight for the blunt force trauma, but Sheamus counters with a knee to the jaw. Knight dumps Sheamus to the apron. Sheamus heads up top. Knight leaps all the way up. Delivers a belly-to-belly -belly superplex. Knight dumps Sheamus on the outside and wins the Slim Jim Battle Royal. I don't know what the winner of this gets. They just get considerable favors. Do they get a Slim Jim commercial? We don't really know what they were fighting for on this one. Maybe they just get to snap into a Slim Jim and get a lifetime supply of those little meat jerky treats. But ultimately, LA Knight does win this battle royal, defeating Sheamus at the end, about the 12 minute and 47 second mark. And not a bad spot for this matchup. It kept people there, it kept people intrigued. And we're getting into about an hour and a half into the show. Mind you, our crowd has been there for a while. So, our next matchup was under MMA rules. Ronda Rousey versus her protege, Shayna Baszler. And I will say, my reports from the arena that night in Detroit, my friends are telling me that we're in attendance, that this was the time when a lot of people ended up going to the restroom. And this was the bathroom break match for a lot of the crowd. There was a, that tells me there was not a lot of interest in this matchup leading in. While Shayna did seemingly just turn on Ronda like that. Now, I'm going to take the other side of this. I am an MMA guy. I enjoy the interactions with the WWE stars. So I wanted to see where these two would go because I've watched their history back in the Ultimate Fighter many, many years ago. So ultimately, no pun intended, I seen that this match was an MMA rules match and I said to myself, great, what are we gonna get? We're gonna get two girls maybe that actually can have a good fight and not worry about not being trained properly for those fights to have an MMA style fight. So we get this, Rousey muscles Baszler to the ropes and takes her down. Now in an MMA match, you win by knockout, you win by submission. That's pretty much all you got going on there. The one thing that does complicate it a little bit is the ropes. And you know the fact that you're in a ring, it's not necessarily just boxing for those submissions, but the getting the ropes and stuff like that doesn't count against and you can't have rope breaks, things like that. So. Basically, they end up fighting right away. They get back up and down off the ground to their feet. Rousey hits a roundhouse kick to the side of the head of Baszler. Baszler goes for a knee bar, but Rousey gets back to her knee and levels Baszler with a stiff knee shot. Rousey takes down Baszler and locks in the head triangle. Rousey goes for an arm bar. Baszler gets her legs up and dumps herself to Rousey to the outside. Rousey and Baszler head back to the ring. And two medical officials check on Baszler's arm, and we think something's legitimately wrong here. Baszler gets back to her feet and throws her mouth guard right at Rousey. Baszler then catches Rousey in a um, Kirifuda clutch, and Rousey counters into an arm bar, and Baszler counters into the ankle lock. Rousey goes for a sleeper, Baszler goes to the, for the clutch again. Rousey pay, uh, passes out, and Baszler gets the TKO. Shayna Baszler defeats Ronda Rousey with the clutch at the 7 minute and 23 second mark. And that is Shayna Baszler going on. Now, a lot of people, I will say on this matchup, I appreciated what the WWE was trying to do. What I would ask is that maybe since SummerSlam has a history of the Lion's Den matches, maybe we bring back a version of the Lion's Den or a mini cage match that would have been able to contain these ladies a little bit more in the ring. I, I didn't like to see them going to the outside and things like that in this matchup style. I wanted to see more of that traditional MMA rules if it is going to be this style. 
ultimately. Not bad. You can tell they blended back and forth into the MMA and then back into a little bit of setup spots with the wrestling. But ultimately, the match did not outstay its welcome. And it was about the 7 minute, 20 second mark. And eventually, they did um, give the win to Shayna Baszler, which was the right call. This is definitely playing into the idea that Ronda Rousey is done with the WWE. She needed to put over Shayna and exit now that she is going back to the UFC. Uh, since certain competitions have retired over there, Ronda felt more comfortable now probably getting back over there. But ultimately, Shayna Baszler is your win in this one. And I hope Shayna goes on to have a really great career in the WWE and we're able to maximize her potential as we move forward. But let's move forward. Intercontinental Championship is next. Nobody, nobody had Drew McIntyre winning the Intercontinental Championship tonight. Why do you ask? Because Gunther is right around the corner from breaking the all-time Intercontinental Championship record of holding it in a single holding for all time, held by the Honky Tonk Man many, many years ago. Despite that, these two had a classic bout that they typically have. Um, this match, for me, was a little bit more of a slower pace than I've seen these guys do. I actually preferred the you know the matchup with the triple threat back at Mania that they had a while back. But starting out, McIntyre takes the fight straight to Gunther. He drops him with a shoulder tackle. Gunther takes down McIntyre, locks in the side headlock. They go for some action on the outside. Gunther drops McIntyre back first into the ring steps. Gunther in the middle of the ring. Gunther drops McIntyre with a thunderous chop and follows up with a butterfly suplex. Gunther and McIntyre trade short clotheslines in the middle of the ring, and Gunther gets the best of it and follows up with a German suplex. McIntyre lights up Gunther and volley chops a belly-to-belly. McIntyre hits another belly-to-belly -belly suplex, follows up with a neck breaker. McIntyre sets up for a claymore, but Gunther ducks it and drops McIntyre into the corner. So these guys go on further. They get a future shock DDT later. We get into a pretty good spot where they start chopping each other and do the classic chest chops really hard. But Drew actually blocks it with his hand, which was a nice little mix-up from just before they started going back at it again and just trading chops. Fast forward on and through the match. McIntyre takes Gunther up top to the top rope, but Gunther shoves McIntyre and crunches him on the top rope. Gunther waits for McIntyre to hit the mat and connects for a diving splash. Gunther follows up with the clothesline and hits the powerbomb for the one, the two, and the three, and Gunther defeats McIntyre with a powerbomb at the 13 minute, 14, about 45 second mark. So, ultimately, we see the Intercontinental Championship stay at home with Gunther, and he is well on his way of defeating and becoming the long-term Intercontinental Championship. Right call was made here tonight, guys. The Intercontinental Championship record book needs to be updated. With the impending merging of the UFC and WWE, you want to update some of your record books. And Gunther looks like he should be the longest reigning Intercontinental Championship. Do you want Gunther, a classic old school kind of style wrestler, as your long-term champion? Or do you want an Elvis impersonator? being the guy that is the face of that. He's had a great run. He's had it since the 80s. But ultimately, it is Gunther that needs to be the long-term title winner. And I welcome that coming up here in September. Next up, we've got the World Heavyweight Championship match. And a lot of people were mixed on this one, including yours truly. 
I was, I like both of these guys in wrestling. I like both of these guys, their styles. But I mean, and I like their rival, but I just didn't know what they would do here at SummerSlam and all the different dynamics they're at play. I was very fearful that they were going to take this newly crowned world championship off of Seth Rollins. But let's find out. Seth Rollins gets in, and he basically... Seth Rollins, I want to start out with the entrances. As I've said before, Seth Rollins cannot stay out of Becky Lynch's wardrobe. And he comes out in a very Queen of Hearts, puffy arm dress. He's wearing this dress robe style to the ring. And then once he got that taken off, his tights did remind me a little bit of the Ultimate Warrior vibe. But I think Seth Rollins was trying to uh, play into the Barbie fame that's going on in the world right now. So we're going to call him, uh, you know, Barbie Rollins. So Rollins and Balor Brawl, as soon as the bell rings immediately, they slug it out in the middle of the ring. This matchup got a good amount of time tonight. And so basically... They basically go back and forth, trading all kinds of drops, um, uh, back and forth the middle of the ring. Balor catches Rollins with a side brush and leg sweep at one time and goes back into an armbar. Balor whips Rollins to the corner, and Rollins rebounds out to the corner. So there's a lot of action. There's a lot of sling blade action by Finn Balor. Um, it was interesting to know, and I forgot to mention this here in the beginning. Finn Balor comes out in his entrance. He comes out to a prince... Devitt type graphic on the screen which I found kind of very interesting that they would kind of do that but ultimately they also had seven as he had written onto his chest and uh, to signify it was seven years ago that these two faced off at SummerSlam man has it really been that long it feels just like a few years ago but wow I guess so since the Universal Championship came into play so anyway the action back into the ring mid-match Rollins heads up top and hits a frog splash for a one and a two. Rollins connects with a forearm shot to the back of the net. They go back and forth. They hit some falcon arrow. He tries for a falcon arrow one point, but Balor counters it into a roll-up for a one and a two. Rollins then, later on in the match, hits a pedigree and puts Balor and he manages just to kick out at the two mark. Then we get all kinds of crowd action where the crowd's looking at the ramp. They're looking to see what's going on. And you and I are thinking the same thing. It's Damian Priest. Damian Priest of Judgment Day shows up, heads down to the ring with the briefcase in hand. Priest cheap shots Rollins with it. Balor follows up with a pedigree for a really long one and a close two. Rhea Ripley and Dominique Mysterio emerge from the crowd as well. And at this point, Priest offers the money in the bank case to Balor to use as a weapon. Balor refuses to use the briefcase. Rollins catches Balor with a stomp for a two count. Rollins takes out Priest and Mysterio at this point, and he's battling almost one on three. But Balor catches Rollins with a sling blade again and a coup de grace for a long one and a two. Priest slides the briefcase at this point into the ring and distracts the referee. Balor tries to grab the briefcase, and as he puts his head down to grab it, Rollins hits the curb stop on the briefcase. One, two, and three. Seth. Frickin' Barbie Rollins defeats Finn Balor with the stop of the Money in the Bank briefcase at the 18-minute mark. After post-match, we get a nice stare-down between Damian Priest and Seth Rollins. This was a great way to use the Money in the Bank briefcase effectively, foreshadowing these two looking at each other, thinking that this match could happen. 
but then again, guys, we're not done. We also get Finn Balor staring down Damian Priest, looking a little disgusted and a little annoyed that their plan didn't work. Damian Priest is looking disappointed. Finn Balor's looking angry. And we just kind of think that Judgment Day might implode a little bit tomorrow night, or sorry, Monday night on Monday Night Raw. Time will tell, but this was a great way to use the Money in the Bank briefcase. While in the third phase of this matchup, they allowed the first two phases of the matchup play out with their actions in the ring, and then they actually introduced the elements of the outside factors. So it does keep you in mind guessing of which route everybody's going to go, and will we get another match between these guys, or will we just kind of go ahead with a Damian Priest? Maybe we get a triple threat match cash in. Who knows? Let's get on to a triple threat matchup that I you know, was mentioning, but here, let's go into one. Women's championship match. We get first out, Charlotte Flair. Second out is the champion, Asuka. And it was at this point in the matchup I got really worried because I said that Asuka you know, might retain in this matchup, but the fact that the champion came out second made me change my mind. And I realized that Bianca Belair might get this championship back tonight but it did not end the way I thought it was going to end all the way. Asuka gets dumped to the outside really on. You get some standard back and forth matchup. Um, the women's match, while they did their job trying to do everything they needed to do in this triple threat affair, um, it just kind of dragged at a weird pace for me tonight. And I don't know, this event ended up being like over four hours tonight. So I don't know if I was just starting to tire out like the crowd as well. The crowd started dying out too a little bit. But we do get some action back and forth between Austin, between these three ladies that are great performers. Uh, we got Flair who levels Belair with a big boot, and Asuka catches Flair with a code breaker. All three competitors slug it out in the middle of the ring, but Belair gets dumped on the outside. Belair heads back into the ring, hits a neck breaker and a DDT combination on Flair and Asuka. Belair goes to work with mounted punches to Flair in the corner. Follows up with a spine buster. Belair goes for a handspring moonsault, both to Flair and Asuka. But Flair and Asuka get on their knees. Asuka basically locks in the Asuka lock. And then Bianca Belair connects with a handspring moonsault to Flair and Asuka to break up the Asuka lock. Belair heads to the top, but Asuka knocks her down. Flair dumps Asuka to the outside, heads to the top. Flair connects with a moonsault to Belair. So these guys are just going back and forth and getting everything done that they need. We get some spots with the kiss of death that doesn't quite pan out. She does hit Flair with it at one point in time. And then we get some boots. Flair connects with a moonsault at another point in the match. Flair dumps Belair back on the outside. And it looks like Belair injured her leg on the fall. She actually gets kind of taken to the back a little bit. But then she does come back pretty shortly after. So we know it is just part of story and her story. So at this point, she heads back up the ramp. Flair locks into figure eight on Asuka. And we think, are we getting a 15-time champion? Charlotte Flair. But Belair, like a hero, hobbles back to the ring. Belair heads up to the top and hits the 450 splash onto Flair for the one and the two. Belair and Flair trade shots in the middle of the ring and Belair goes for the kiss of death. But Flair counters into a deep arm drag. Flair locks in the figure eight on Belair. But Asuka missed Flair right in the eyes. And Asuka goes for a low kick to Belair, but Belair ducks it and the kick rolls up Asuka for the one, the two, and the three. And we get the end of the match at the 20 minute 40 second mark. Bianca Belair defeats Asuka with an inside cradle. Asuka celebrating. 
and in. As the crowd was getting into it, you could tell it was a test for the crowd to see if they would accept another Bianca Belair title reign. But just as we start thinking about those elements, we get the sound and the music of Io Sky, the princess of the sky. She comes in, she attacks Belair with the briefcase. Belair's got a good story here because she's hobbling on one knee, so it didn't make her look weak. Sky does hit the over the the moonsault and gets the one, the two, and the three for the WWE Women's Championship. Io Sky is your new women's title holder as she leaves SummerSlam, where Damage Control celebrates with her in the ring. Just they debuted one year ago at SummerSlam and now they got right in here. Great matchup with that point. I like the fact that Io Sky was able to walk out as women's championship and they used the money in the bank briefcase perfectly in this setup. Hey, if you want to talk about the perfect setup, us over there at thefansofprowrestling.com on the Wrestling Fans Insight Podcast. We got Ted the Hill, Billy Hill over there. We got the NWO Machine doing their podcast. We got Austin Boyer as well. We got a lot of great talent over at the Fans of Pro Wrestling. Check us out. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at the Brian Atkins. We host Twitter Spaces every Monday and Wednesday. So you guys want to get into it. And you can also support the channel by just hitting like, share, or even subscribing this podcast. But without further ado, come on, get over. Let's get in. We get into Tribal Combat, the universal undisputed title. This has been a long feud incoming. We get the guys coming out. We get the Tribal Chief. And we're battling for supremacy. I will say, the bell rings. Reigns muscles Uso to the corner, and then he shoves Reigns into a great distance before they lock up and Reigns again. Reigns drops Uso with a shoulder lock. This is all about Jay Uso breaking free of Roman's hold, and Jay uh, is coming out. And as they come out, they're getting into this. A tribal combat match basically just means it's a no holds barred match. All right, you can basically anything goes. So at this point. We get a couple clotheslines from Reigns on the outside. He hits a suicide dive. Uso whips Reigns into the corner, into the ring steps, pulls out a table from under the ring. Uso sets up the table at ringside, but Reigns gets back to his feet and slams Uso at the ring steps. This matchup, many like a lot of these guys' matchups, are very storyline driven. Um, the matchups always seem to drag on a little bit in the beginning and then they usually pick up with some story related element at the end. I've learned that in the three years of watching this storyline play out in the matches. So I'm waiting for the big payoff in the end. As I'm toughing through the match itself, the match did drag for me a little bit in a lot of places. Um, I think this might have been, you know, you guys let me know if you feel the same way, but I feel like this might have been due to us being over the four hour mark at one point. And then on top of that, it's just been a very, very long night for the SummerSlam. But it didn't feel like the overall big-time main event match. I felt like there was a lot of better matches on the card that actually represented a lot more of action blended with story. But let's get back into the action on this one. You know, we fast-forward a little bit. We get some outside spots. We get Roman with a kendo stick at one point. We get uh, another point where... Solo Sokoa has to get involved, and he gets involved and does some outside damage to Jay Uso. And then, as these guys are going back and forth, Uso grabs a whole pile of chairs from under the ring and tosses them into a big pile in the ring. 
and Jey Uso takes Reigns up top, and he sets up for a superplex onto the chairs, but Reigns headbutts him because he's not taking that spot. And Uso's back down to the mat, and Uso heads back up with Reigns, but Reigns slides under, and he counters with a powerbomb right onto the pile of chairs that are in the middle of the ring. Reigns makes the cover, but only gets a one and a two. Reigns pulls a second table out from under the ring and slides it into the ring. Reigns sets the table up in the corner. You know that's coming back into play. But Uso snaps Reigns neck over the top, and Uso rolls to the apron, and Reigns drops and hits a Samoan drop. Uso grabs a leather strap from under the ring, and at this point, Again, you know, we get more soulless uh, Sokoa action. That's when they actually get to go outside later here and fight. But ultimately, once we're done with all that, the deck is stacked against Jey Uso. He's starting to create a little momentum. He hits a splash to Reigns in the ring. But a masked figure, or a hooded figure, I should say, breaks up the pin and pulls Jey Uso out of the ring. The mysterious man lowers his mask, and it's none other than his brother, Jimmy. What? Jimmy's the one that started this whole rebellion against Roman. He was the one that pulled the trigger on the super kick to the face. Why, Jimmy? Why? Jimmy, what did you do? Says Michael Cole. And at that point, Jimmy super kicks his brother Jay straight in the face. Rolls him back to the ring. Roman Reigns hits the spear through that table in the corner we mentioned and covers him for the one, the two, and the three. Your winner. The undisputed Universal Champion, Roman Reigns. 36 minutes in two seconds, roughly. Um, 36 minutes. That's a long match for this main event. Um, this one dragged out, and when I seen that time of 36 minutes, I said that's why it felt like it dragged a little. And the bigger thing is, is what's going on with this story? Why did Jimmy just all of a sudden pull a reverse swerve going on here and decide to betray his own brother? I will say this does set up next month's payback, pay-per-view or PLE. And it does set up the PLE for payback with brother versus brother in that main event. So we're probably going to get that element. And this does give a perfect write-off for Roman to take that time off from the WWE brand as reported. But he's still going to be champion and keeping that streak intact for even a longer reign for the Roman Empire. So, we did ask a couple things tonight. We said, how is Cody going to pan in the next few months if he does get back in title condition? And also, how's Roman holding on to that title? We got some of those answers tonight. Let's lead this into our final thoughts. And with that being said, I want to talk about, you know, how Cody Rhodes was able to prolong and where is he going to go to prolong himself in a post SummerSlam feud that could lead into maybe a title contention at WrestleMania. Cody did hint at this in the post press conference for SummerSlam. He didn't say it exactly, but we all can read between the lines as he says. Also, Roman Reigns is getting some time off, which does allow Jimmy and Jay to have their feud. But I got to ask, does it make sense for Jimmy and Jay to have a feud like this when Jimmy was the one that started the turn and Jay was reluctant and finally joined them? So I guess we'll find out in storyline on SmackDown this week. Also, the WWE used its money in the bank briefcases to gain interest on multiple wrestlers. I like the way they set up the feuds with Finn Balor. And they set up, you know, the potential with Damian Priest fighting Balor or Seth Rollins. That could be a triple threat match. 
I like the use of Io Shirai. She was able to win the title today without making Bianca Belair look like a bad quick champion. Bianca Belair is one of the longer women champions and one of the shortest women champions in WWE history now. But not only that, all the girls look good tonight and there's still the damage control elements floating in the mist, just like Judgment Day with the guys' side. So I see similar bookings here. Also, Triple H in the post-press conference takes a lot of heat for the lack of wrestlers at SummerSlam. You know, I think the fans are living at Rhea Ripley not defending her women's championship and Becky Lynch and Trish, who were supposed to have a program, not get their time on the card. Triple H was also questioned about Austin Theory not being in the U.S. title picture and defending his title, instead being thrown into a Slim Jim Battle Royal as just a contestant that was tossed over the rope. You could tell Triple H answered the questions, but he was a little annoyed tonight by some of those questions coming at him. And I think that sometimes at SummerSlam, when you get in these live preferences, SummerSlam is about bringing the heat. And we did. You know, some of you guys did bring the heat to old trips in this one. But they are good, solid questions. It doesn't mean they're not valid. And I think as fans and reporters, I think I want to applaud the reporters for asking some solid questions that, you know, the fans and the fan base want to know about. So the WWE does ruin the stigma of a main event contender tonight. And that stigma was Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is known as an ass kicker. And he's known as a dominant guy that has no allies and all enemies. And the WWE did ruin some of that stigma. I always felt like if he was going to have that handshake to, you know, bury the hatchet with. It would have been like The Undertaker or somebody like that that did a lot for him in his career. Not Cody Rhodes. And again, shame on Cody for accepting that so quickly. The guy broke your arm, like I mentioned earlier. And all of a sudden, you're you know, just all cool, all is forgiven. No worries. No blood, no foul, pal. So, and then the tribal combat. Did it deliver or did it kind of hold down the rest of the card? You, you guys let me know. Um, it is very bizarre that we got Jimmy Uso playing the traitor role and I do have to question that but I am going to sit back before I reserve judgment and just kind of see how this plays out but um, are we booking swerves to just happen or do they have logical sense to them when they unfold in the next couple months we'll have to wait and see well those are my results and my final thoughts and I want to thank you guys for every single thing you do I'm going to head out of here have a good SummerSlam weekend evening and again, thanks for watching, guys. Like, share, subscribe, and helps me out a lot. And it's not goodbye around here, but it's game over.